Welcome to Season 2 of the Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting Podcast. You can attend this meeting live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time using the Zoom ID 848-5208-0640, password 061120. For more information about adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, visit adultchildren.org. The following speaker share from James was recorded on December 15th, 2022. I'm James H. Adult Child um, in recovery. And uh, thanks again, TD, for asking me to lead tonight uh, or today, depending on where you're at. Um, so I just want to start by getting grounded and just saying a brief prayer. Um, which may be perceived as selfishly, but it's for me to ground me. Um, you know, um, their, their higher power, please help me just share from my heart and uh, please help me to not go into hiding by tap dancing, people pleasing, lying. Please help me feel safe to uh, take off the hi hat and put down the cane and then uh, just just share. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so in this setting, it will be appropriate for me to share my story, probably in its entirety. I'll just say, first and foremost, without ACA, um, I don't, I don't think I would have a shot at healing from my recovery from my childhood traumas. <clears throat> I'm. Man, before I learned about the uh, inner drugstore, you pick an addiction, I qualify for the program. I had, you know, I had no clue. I was just found myself going to different programs, you know, like 12 step, like junkie, you know, just like bottoming out. And I just like, you know, and, you know, I'm grateful for my journey and I'm not weaponizing my recovery, but um, it was just always like a new substance would come up or a new kind of, um, process addiction. And um, in 2014, Halloween weekend, 2014, I was in Austin, Texas uh, with my girlfriend at that time. And she was emotionally unavailable. Um, you know, she had abusive symptoms. Um, she was intelligent. She's an alcoholic. She's from a dysfunctional home. And, I, and I, didn't, I didn't like that at the time. I didn't like any of that. My, I loved it. You know, it's what I, what I craved. Um, she was unavailable. And, um, you know, <clears throat> we was on that trip and uh, out in Austin, Texas for a film festival. And I remember calling somebody I was working with at the time. And I called this person and let this person know what was going on during this trip that weekend. And the person said, nobody has the right to abuse you. I, I, I was like blown away by it. I'm like, what is she talking about? No one's abusing me. Like, what is she? I didn't understand. Like, the abuse is so uh, part of my uh, tolerating abuse and being resilient, uh, I don't know if that's a character asset, but you know, resiliency. Uh, just anyway, we came back to New York City 
and she broke up with me on the Upper West Side at Whole Foods. And uh, she said, this is not working out. And uh, I thought I was gonna die. I'm like, wait a minute. I tolerated all of this. I said yes to everything you did. And now you're gonna break up with me? After I told you, like after I posted on social media, I'm in a relationship, all this stuff, man. You know, and uh, then she broke up with me and uh, <clears throat> I saw a friend that Saturday night and she was gracious enough to just share with me, hey, I'm going to ACA now. And I heard a person share that Sunday, that Sunday, that following that next Sunday, I heard a person share in a different program, but she sounded a lot different. And I was just asked, I was like, I just asked like, what meeting are you going to now? Like what meeting are you going to? She's like, oh, I go to ACA now. And I'm like, what is that? Adult children of alcoholics. She said ACA actually. And uh, she gave me, um, she gave me phone numbers. It was a phone bridge meetings. And I did that 5.45 a.m. meeting that Monday morning. And after I did the 5.45 a.m. meeting, I called somebody I was working with in another program. And I just said, I just need to part ways. I don't know what that's, I just instinctively knew like this is not working anymore. And I never knew there was a place that I can discuss my childhood trauma without being a shock jock, without, ooh, wow, you know? And it just like, like people were like, okay, uh, you were hurt or no crosstalk, nobody coming up to me after the meeting or crosstalking me. And it was like, it just created this space for me to share as I'm, you know, uh, growing up, I grew up in a, Grew up in the ghetto, poor in the ghetto with dysfunctional um, alcoholics, heroin addicts. And I remember um, I, was, I was told my dad passed away when I was two years old um, with a needle in his arm naked in the bathroom. He left everyone that was in the park in Brooklyn. He went to use the bathroom and then my mama, his mom, my grandmother, mama, went up to use the bathroom and she found her son dead with a needle in his arm. So, um, you know, growing up two years old, three, four, it's like, oh, you look like your dad, but not knowing as a child, like, you know, not knowing, you know, just going and Santa and all this other stuff looking back. And uh, I was close with my mom too. Um, and one Sunday afternoon, me and my brother were, was playing uh, the Sunday before, uh, it was May 10th actually, um, the Sunday we were, we were playing the Sunday before my mother's day and, um, me and my brother's playing. My mother comes home as she always comes home, you know, and she's like, you know, she laid down and, um, I tried waking her up and, uh, she wouldn't, she wouldn't come too. And, you know, she's a heroin addict as well. Um, so, you know, I just was used to her not coming too for a little. I just got used to her. Like I was used to my mom, like nodding out and just being with her and stuff and, she would nod out while she was washing me, you know, like cigarette burns would go, you know, um, you know, she would nod out all over the place like, like heroin addicts do. So anyway, I tried waking her up and then she didn't wake up. And then about two hours later, a police officer came in with, you know, with tears in his eyes and pulled me to the side and said that your mother went to heaven. And um, I remember asking him, can I go? And he said, no, like crying, like, no, you can't. And, um, that, that changed everything for me. Um, I shut down. 
I didn't cry. I was told I didn't cry at all. I didn't cry, I shut down. Um, when I look back at little James, his, his trust was broken. He was heartbroken, he was devastated. Um, he didn't know the road. Basically at that age, losing both of your parents to heroin overdoses, he didn't know and rightfully so that really at this stage in life, the name of the game is to grieve at such a young age. That's gonna be his task is to grieve and to heal. Um, and I just remember like going into the, to the bodega, we call it in, in New York, um, corner store. And I would wait for everybody to leave the store. And the guy would say, come on, Papito, Papito, come on, what do you want? I would wait for everybody to leave so I can use a food stamp. I didn't want people to see me using a food stamp. So early on, I became over-responsible. I took on the family um, trauma, you know, the dysfunction, the generational dysfunction. I just felt shame and I just buried myself into fantasy and make-believe and, you know, to make matters worse, where I grew up, I was an intelligent little child. I loved reading, I loved math. Like, I liked solving problems, but where I grew up, that wasn't, that was frowned upon. So I remember like speaking proper English, like just regular English and people like, one dude was like, who is that sounding like, like a white person? And I was like, it's who is that? I was like, oh, wow. Oh, okay. And I learned how to like hide and become, you know, like, probably, you know, like, it was like if everybody else, I was trying to be the Fonz, but I was really like a Ralph Mouth, kind of, you know, like I, you know, like, um, Probably like, uh, I was like, you know, like uh, Carlton from Will, you know, from Fresh Prince or Will Smith before he did a smack. Like, I was just like, uh, just really like, you know, happy, ambitious, go lucky, uh, in tune with, you know, I don't know, I just spelling bees and, um, you know, teachers always taking a liking to me because I look back, I, but I was always felt shame to like, I want to answer the questions, but I'm scared to answer the questions because these guys that like ridicule me for like, you know, you know, so I, I just basically just confused. Um, then I was getting bullied, you know, and I, yeah, I was getting bullied and um, man, when I look back that little uh, like 10, 11 years old, when I just started like disassociating through substances and stuff like that, like at an early age, you know, and by the time I'm, by the time I'm 14, I'm like, I'm, I'm in the streets and they don't know what to do with me. And you know, I, you know, six, like 16 years old, I'm carrying a pistol, I'm selling crack cocaine. And um, you know, one time I blacked out on the spot and you know, the next day I showed up to work, like ready to work. And it's like one of you is saying, okay, where are the drugs? And I say to you, the drugs are in the spot. And like me and one of you go to the spot and the drugs are not there. And I'm like, I don't know where they are. And they like took me to a housing project and beat me up with baseball bats and threw hot water on me at 16 years old. And I'm like, um, 
Man, uh, I have two nieces, one that's 16, one that's 14, and I have a nephew that's 10, and I have an infant son that's 19 months old. And then my line of work now that I you know, started a business, um, I deal with, um, from time to time, I deal with adolescents. Um, really, they just give them all these diagnoses, but really I just see trauma and keep my mouth shut. I'm not a clinician. I'm there to do, you know, do my job. But I just learned, um, I was just, to me, I was just invisible. Um, you know, I was always afraid of girls. You know, um, I was always afraid of people. So when it's just like fear of authority figures or afraid of angry people, uh, I'm afraid of angry people, yes, but I'm more afraid of people that show me love. Um, people, I don't know why that's not in there anyway. I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel, but Anger, I kind of like learned how to play the game, but when, he, when, when someone saw me for who I, like when someone saw me and like valued me, I always found a way to like uh, cause some kind of like sabotage behavior or did, you know, to like, and when I look back, what I was doing was creating a lifestyle where I'm not gonna hurt myself anymore. No one's gonna hurt me, excuse me. No one is going to hurt me anymore. Nobody's going to hurt me. If anybody's going to do the hurting, I'm going to do the hurting when I look back. And um, my topic is, is forgiveness, by the way, because I'm learning and I've come to believe and I've learned that I need to forgive that behavior from that little boy, little James, who was literally taking care of himself because the adults wasn't taking care of him. The little boy is actually courageous. Those behaviors he was doing, now some of them have boomerang around now, yeah, like sugar's not going, and ice cream, ice cream is not going to work right now, and maybe some adult entertainment is not going to work right now, and you know, like, you know, stepping outside my marriage is not going to work right now, like a lot of behaviors are not going to work right now, but for a long time, those behaviors served me well, you know? Um, so when I saw those traits, when I see the traits, I'm like, wow. And, you know, um, I, I have the, um, I love our literature, it's the best. I mean, the big red book, but I'm going through the laundry list workbook right now. I've gone through the yellow workbook, but I'm going through this with fellow travelers and I love on page two where, you know, it's something special about doing this work with another person opposed to just reading it. It's just something special. Like when I sit across with my fellows, whether it's through Zoom or in person, where when we read, it's just, I just feel, I, I think like just getting with you is grieving. You know, like when we do it, it's like a, we're like grieving and it's not about comparing childhoods. It's not about comparison and everybody has their own trauma and their own human experiences. So we're all here to, to, to heal from our childhood traumas and, and growing up in a dysfunctional and or alcoholic home. But where it says right here, our families were not safe enough for us to feel comfortable in being ourselves. Thus, we isolated ourselves by burying, hiding, denying, abandoning, 
and betraying our true self and presenting a false self to the world. What do they, where do they talk about stuff like this? Like, where do they get this from? Where do they get this from? Burying, hiding, denying, denying, abandoning, and betraying myself. I learned how to betray myself as a way of living. And I'm truly believe if I didn't find ACA, it would have been this way till I go to the graveyard. So I'm afforded this gift. This gift and Tony A and all, man, thank you. I mean, come on, man. I'm up and sharing in other meetings and other programs, people coming up to me and I'm like, wait a minute. Um, oh, wow, boundaries. And you said in the literature, I will, I will healthier boundaries will become easier for me to set. I will learn to expect the best and get it. With that childhood, you tell me, I'm gonna learn. I'm gonna learn how to expect the best and get it. That little boy, that little boy hearing that? This program is busting my heart open. What kind of program that teaches you that with the kind of childhood that, that James had? James, with that childhood, with that upbringing, son, you're gonna learn to expect the best and get it and guess what it's true it's true it really is true my life oh my god god this life that i have this life that i have now <laughs> i don't even know where to begin it's, it doesn't make sense it's like so oh man uh then I learned in ACA, because um, it always, if let's just say TD invited, introduced me to a friend and she says, like, so she introduced me and I'm like, how did it go with my friend? Like, how was the date? How did it go? And I say something like, um, mm, I don't know. Something is, I don't know. Something is off with her. What's off is she probably likes me. <laughs> so, okay, so, she probably she wanted, hey, when are you available again for a second date? Second date, what? What? You want to, you know, what? So like, it was like what I've been doing is learning to betray myself, to push my true self away as a protection. But it's really not a protection. It further disconnects me in holding on to resentments. And I learned how to, and I'm saying this without, Without, without shaming myself and without beating myself up. And I really mean that. I learned how to speak Vietnamese. I just, it was just something that where I grew up, it was like common to speak Vietnamese, not to minimize any trauma or anything people have gone through, but I just learned how to, to do that. And ACA had me do a blame, this is crazy, a blameless inventory, right? So I'm going to take a look and I'm going to do this blameless inventory. And I'm going to look at the family tree. And then when I look, it's like, oh my God, damn. All right, so Nana, 
was 14 when she had my mother. My mother was 15, addicted to heroin when she had me. She drove from Alabama on a Greyhound bus to New York with a newborn. I, I just, and I'm like, all right, Uncle Frank was a drunk. He was emotionally unavailable. All right, everyone's no boundaries. Nana's walking around with her chest out. Nana's having sex with different men. Like, just, I was just, I started to, I started to have an opening as far as some kind of, kind of like pat, compassion. But I had to learn here how to hold them accountable. I love my grandmothers, my Nana. To her dying day, I made living amends. I broke all the rules when I was going to Al-Anon. They would say, detach with her. I couldn't do it. I called every day. I went to see her every day. I would give her money all the time. I would take her out for dinner and put it on with the church people and have all the people come and, you know, um, and, you know, I would ask her from time to time, ask her questions, and she would always say, let's not talk about it. So we just, I just grew up not talking about serious stuff. You know, um, and I say that to say because I, I had, a, a, had I've, I've had a lot of resentment towards my family, my mother, my father, my Nana, my Uncle Frankie, society. And this is what I said yesterday about victim and our strength and our recovery. Victim, many of us have gotten very good at playing the victim, but we tell ourselves we didn't create that role for ourselves. Wasn't it those other people and circumstances that made us a victim? Holding on to regrets and resentments is like wrapping ourselves in a blanket of thorns. Each minute of each day, we are aware of the fact that the thorns are causing us pain. And the only comfort some of us get is thinking that at least others see how hurt we are. But nobody wants to live with a victim, not even a victim. How different our lives and our world would be if we could go back and undo the past. But life doesn't offer us that option. We have to, we have to get it. We have to, we, what we do, what we do get is a choice to accept, to either accept the past and work through it or to remain a victim and letting it continue to influence who we are and what we do. I, I just thought that, you know, like, so I was a victim and there are victims, but at the same time, when I'm able to table that victim stance, from the you know from the trauma triangle, when I'm able to table that stance and acknowledge, okay, yeah, that was horrific. I'm able to I'm able to give my parents a pardon. And I look forward to one day speaking with them, sitting across from them and just asking them how things are going.
and I forgive them. I don't think they put needles in their arms to leave me. I don't think that. But I do hold them accountable for their actions, for leaving me, for abandoning me and my brother and putting a burden on my Nana who had to stop her life and take on two kids. And the forgiveness is not from a morality standpoint. The forgiveness allows me to, uh, to let go. You know, to let go, to really let go and let my higher power end more. You know, to forgive myself for lying growing up when people say, so what do your parents do? Oh, oh, my mother died of cancer and my father, you know, he's in the military, special forces to forgive James for being scared, for lying, all the lying, being scared and taking on that, you know, sitting across from you. Hey, so let's go around and get to know each other. We're going to say where our parents went to school and what they did and everything. And, and James turned, what does your parents do? Oh, oh, my mom died from leukemia and my dad got killed as a cop, like always lying, like, like betraying myself. You know? So um, there's certain people I see and that resentment just comes right up. I just see them. And when that happens, I just ask my higher power to please let me keep my heart open. You know, not shut down because these people are fill-ins for my parents. These people didn't do anything to me. And I, and I still got a long way to go. My recovery is slow. Man, I can blame, Ooh, I'm a blamer, I blame boy. I blame, blame, blame. You know, I don't want to sit here and act like I have this great spiritual, you know, I go through it sometimes. I mean, I'm a blamer. And um, I have this little boy in my life, Alexander. He's, uh, I... So we, you know, we have an apartment in Manhattan, but right now we're living in the suburbs of Atlanta, Georgia. And, you know, to be in a house, it's a lot. To have a backyard is a lot. It's a lot for me. To take my son to go play in the playground. When he's playing, Little James is crying sometimes. So I'm like grieving with this little boy. So it's a lot to take in that, you know, my wife that, you know, she wants to be with me. It's a lot to take in. Um, 
So there's a lot of change in my life. I, you know, moved out here and got let go from a high earning job uh, in October. And uh, so now I'm like interviewing again and I'm going on these interviews and I had two today back to back. I was on these interviews for like two hours and I mean, they're grilling me and I'm hanging in there. And one person asked me, how, how much are you looking for financially? And I'm like, you know, what is, what is the, what are you, what, what are you working with over there? Give me a number. And uh, just, you know, I started a business recently and it's new and, but to be visible in all areas of my life, um, opposed to hiding, because as an adult child, for me to hide, is betrayal. I don't have to be a superstar, but it's important for me that I devote five, 10 minutes a day to my vision, whatever it is that brings joy to my heart, that makes me feel seen and heard and I'm visible. And I wanna forgive myself for spending decades putting my head down, working jobs that that really I didn't want to do, but I just did it because it was just a way to like pass time and, you know, kind of like recreate my childhood where I'm not visible, I'm not seen and heard. And <sighs> so I just want to forgive myself for um, really forgive little James and you know, show up for him. Also, um, you know, try to get trust from teenage James, try to get trust, try to gain his trust that it's gonna work out. Cause the little boy, little James is ready, man. The teenager is like, the teenager still, no teenager rebellious, you know, and he just pops up just like that, jumps in just like that to try to just control the situation because he doesn't trust that it's gonna work out in his favor. You know, the little, little James is happy for my son, Alexander. He's excited for that. So he gets to play, you know, so, um, Maybe I just can read something before I close from the Big Red Book. Um, so it talks about compassion, forgiveness, love, and gratitude, page 139. And uh, it says in the middle of the next to last paragraph, only when I surrendered my life and my will did what I know intellectually become real for me, compassion, forgiveness, love, and gratitude became real as I worked the steps and surrender. By turning my will and my life over to my higher power, I could see examples of these spiritual principles in the lives of others. From forgiveness, I learned to love. I was abandoning myself. I finally learned that abandoning myself would not take care of my abandonment or rejection. 
Yeah, so um, thank you, five minutes. Uh, so it's like control making me feel safe. And I don't have, I don't have, I don't, I don't, I try to wear, I try to stay away from hustling, spiritual hustling. I don't, I try to stay away from that. Like I do this, I'm gonna get that, or I'm gonna share that. Like I, I try to stay away from that. Hustling people and manipulating. I try to just be myself and sometimes being myself and being honest is a rocky road in the beginning for me. You know, it's rocky. Sometimes, uh, you know, my wife come in and like try to intervene. I just, you know, but I'm willing to accept help sometimes. Sometimes I'm not willing. Um, I'm willing to let people in. Um, I can't live life alone. I watch my son. Sometimes he just wants to be around me. He just wants a connection. Sometimes he just wants, he wants to play and look at me. Oh, dad is over there. I'm safe now. That sense of safety. And uh, so me, for me to reparent myself, whew, man, um, only way I could do that is with y'all, to be honest with you, I can't do it myself. I don't do it myself. Um, yeah, and you know, just speaking with a friend earlier today, we were playing phone tag back and forth Oh, I see Kim. <laughs> we were playing phone tag back and forth. And um, so I said to him, I said, hey, man, I said, you know, let's, let's schedule a time to talk. You know, like we keep playing phone tag. Let's find a time that's good for both of us. And he said, oh, no, I'm not doing that. I ain't scheduling no time. I'm busy. And that hurt a little bit. But I got a few things out of that. I didn't like... No, I'm not going to speak to him no more. Fuck, you know, excuse that. I'm not going to, but I was, and I'm going to love him for how he is. But I just thought we're playing phone tag. And my thinking was, well, he's trying to like, you know, court and be serious in a relationship. If it was a woman, you would set a time, like all these things going through my, through my mind, you know, but at the same time, I'm like, you know what, just honest, like, you know, like we're going back and forth, back and forth. I'm like, Hey man, like let's schedule a time to talk when it's good for both of us. Oh, I can't do that. I'm like, Oh, okay, you can't do it. All right. It doesn't mean that I, you know, won't speak to him anymore, but it's not, it's just I'm learning how to meet people where they're at and honor their boundaries. He doesn't want to. That doesn't make him a bad person, but that does kick up the childhood stuff. So I'm starting to look, oh, wow, these, most of these responses I have are childhood, it's childhood stuff. And I was mentioned, mentioned in the interview and one person was like, we, oh, we can pay you such and such for this job. Are you okay with it? And I was like, well, on the higher end I am, but I just, after the interviews, I spoke with my wife. I was like, I just got to keep focusing on my business and God is going to take care of us. She said, just pray. Things are going to work out. And I'm like, you know what? I believe things are going to work out. Things are going to be taken care of, but it's going to require me to trust more and let go and stop trying. I'm just used to, if you look at my resume, I just work places for a long period of time that, that I'm under, like really, I'm not really seen and heard, but they pay me good money. So it's like, I'm getting all this money, but I'm not seen and heard. And I'm going back to that area where I isolated myself by burying, hiding, denying, abandoning, and betraying my true self and presenting this false self to the world. 
So I'm trying to present the real self to the world in order for me to do that. I need to stop neglecting myself, stop denying myself. I need to be visible. I need to be seen and heard. You know, I need to be around people who can love and be responsible for themselves. I'm used to clinging on to relationships with people where they don't work. I'm used to that. And then forcing solution and trying to fix them, you know, then sitting in therapy, blaming them. And, you know, like, you know, my therapist is not going to stop taking my money. You know, so uh, just in with this, uh, still the childhood loss of trust permeates all of our interactions, relationships and intimacy as the repetition or recycling of our traumatic childhood dynamics beacons us to find resolution or expression of our original pain. Original pain. This is the nature and logical response to the chaotic family dynamics we were raised in described in a larger list. So you're telling me there's nothing wrong with me. These responses that I have, they make sense. I'm not stupid. I'm not dumb. Wow. So, uh, yeah. Forgiveness, whether, you know, it's, you know, I came in here with my heart closed like this, like shit like this, like nobody getting in my heart. Like, like I'm walking around, literally walking around like this. Like if I can walk around, like I'm walking around like with a spray jacket over my heart, like walking around, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, good, good, like that, that. And then slowly like, you know, like, like letting me like opening up my arms and like letting, like going here. And there was so many times I would have, I learned how to date myself here. I would take myself on trips and I would sit in the park. Or I would go to, I was in Oklahoma coming from a basketball game, just crying and I would hear my higher power. I love you. I love you. I love you. I would sit in the park in Baltimore. Or I was in Toronto, even a dysfunctional relationship in Montreal. Like everywhere I went, I would hear when I would go, I would hear my God would tell me, I got you. I'm with you. I would, I mean, I would cry, y'all. Just cry, cry, cry. And um, I mean, meeting this lady and I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, really? Like maybe we, let me just keep going and dating, dating, dating. And then like going to the next step and she's telling me, you know, she's pregnant and I'm like freaking out. And she's like, uh, I found out what the sex of the, the baby is. And I'm like, what, it's a girl, right? And she said, no, a boy. And I was on an ACA meeting when she told me that. I was on a Tuesday toolbox meeting when she told me that. She said, no, it's a boy. And just seeing him born. And then, you know, just looking into his eyes, seeing this little human being that's 19 months old, that, that dada, 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 you know? Like, hey, dada. Man. Yeah, so maybe a little, you know, when I see my dad in person, I'll say, hey, Dada. You know, hey, Dada, what's going on? I miss you. How you been? And that's my mom. How you been, mommy? I miss you too. Let me hug you. <sighs> yeah. So thank you for letting me share. Awesome.